Hi there, and welcome to the Ones to Watch podcast. Here we discuss exciting technology companies with their founders and CEOs leading their industries, going deep on strategy, success, and their plans for future industry disruption and domination. I'm Paul Quatricasas, founder and CEO of Aqua Partners and creator of the Ones to Watch podcast. Stay on after the show, and we'll share with you how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing podcasts in our industry. With that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Ones to Watch, where we talk to interesting folks who are disrupting what's going on in the world of technology and business. Today, we have Brian Clayton. He is with us from GreenPal, uh, a service designed to connect you with the perfect lawn care pro. So uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for joining us. Miranda, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah. So why don't you start out by telling us just a little bit about GreenPal and the need to create it? Uh, what was that kind of need that you uh, that you identified and how does GreenPal uh, fit that need? Yeah. So Green GreenPal can be best described as the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner, you need to get your grass cut rather than calling around on Craigslist or Yelp or Facebook. You just download the GreenPal app, pop your address in, and you'll get four or five quotes back from lawn care services in your neighborhood. You can read reviews uh, and look at things like how often they get hired, uh, how often they show up on time, and you can book them right through the app. And they'll come out and mow your yard. After you get done, uh, after they get done mowing your grass for you, you'll see a picture of the completed job. And if everything went well, you just rate them and you can book them for the whole season and pay right through the app. So it's it's like an end-to-end experience of a way to just get somebody to come out and take care of this chore for you without having to call around, leave a bunch of voicemails or and, and handle payment, negotiate, and haggle over price. Uh, we've been at this business for eight years. We're an eight-year overnight success. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now in every major city in the United States, around 300,000 people using the app to get their lawn mode, doing around $20 million a year in business. Uh, but it uh, started off very slow. started off very humbly. Uh, my, my two co-founders and I just kind of grinded on this thing for, for many, many years, mm-hmm. trying to get it to go, got, trying to figure out what would work. And uh, we just stuck it out. And I think the reason why we're here is we just never gave up. But uh, GreenPal is uh, the the idea came from my first business, which was actually a landscaping company. I started cutting grass in high school as a way to make extra cash, and it stuck with that little lawn mowing business. And all through high school, all through college, and over a 15 year period of time, built that little business into one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee. And so I I saw that business from every angle you could see it from. And when I sold the company in 2013, I kind of I took some time off, and then I applied everything I learned about the landscaping business into building GreenPal, the Uber for lawn mowing. Very nice. So I like how you talk about it being an eight-year overnight success because uh, so often uh, we see these 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 stories that seem very flashy of something that just comes out of nowhere, uh, but really you've had to build it bit by bit. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and I have learned that the hard way too. You know, as, as I have built this business, I've seen, you know, startups come out of nowhere and, and raise a bunch of money and, you know, get to a nine figure or a 10 figure exit. And and, you, and they seemingly do it overnight, uh, three or four years. And, and you're like scratching your head, like how the hell they do that? 
And then you really start really unpacking the story. And a lot of times that founder is on their second or third or fourth company and they crashed and burned the first couple. And, and, uh, or, or the, the company you're looking at was named differently before, uh, they, they had uh, all the success with the one that you're looking at. And so you're, you're never in very, very rare circumstances. You're rarely looking at three years. You're usually looking at five, 10, 15, 20 years of a, of an entrepreneur's journey, uh, where they are trying things, they're, they're failing. They're, they're learning from mistakes. They're applying them to things that do work. And I have found there's really no shortcuts for that. It usually takes seven, eight years to get most anything going. And you kind of have to be patient. You have to be willing to, to grind it out. And uh, I think entrepreneurship is full of a lot of dichotomies. And one is, is you have to have this, this grand vision, this huge goal uh, that you want to accomplish. But you also have to think and act very small. And it's those little things that you're doing day to day begin to compound and begin to snowball. And like everything that ends up big started small. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to skip that, that, that step. And, and, and that ends up, you know, where they're just spinning their wheels. They never make anything of substance. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And uh, as you were going through this, you mentioned that you took some of your expertise from running a lawn care business, uh, running a landscaping business. Uh, how did you translate into this app? And how do you find service providers for this app. So how, how are you building that up? How are you finding uh, people to actually uh, get on your app and, and offer to mow lawns? Yeah, I think when you're inventing a brand new product from scratch, you know, usually if you're starting a technology-based product, you're inventing something brand new that does not yet exist. And I didn't realize how hard that was going to be when I started GreenPal. I had never invented anything new. I, the landscaping business I had, I was running, you know, I'd grown it to over 150 employees and it was doing $10 million a year in revenue when it was, when it was acquired. And so it was a big business. And so here I am, I thought I knew everything there was about business and, and I applied it to building GreenPal and I was like, whoa, this is a lot harder than I thought I was going to be because I'm basically having to invent something from scratch. Uh, but what did help was I was kind of solving my own problem. I saw day in and day out how inefficient the whole lawn care marketplace operated and how people who needed a lawn mowing service, it was just more difficult than it needed to be for them to, to hire them and get visibility around pricing and, and availability and scheduling. And so it helped that I have, I was solving my own problem, but I, I didn't know how to build software. I didn't know how to, how to navigate kind of a product roadmap and, and all these things that I kind of had to learn as I went. And my two co-founders and I just kind of worked on the business, worked worked in the business and then worked on ourselves all at the same time. And so the first five years were six, seven days a week, 70, 80, hundred hour weeks, just like trying to learn the stuff we needed to learn, how to build software, how to design software and how to build this marketplace. And the first couple of years, it was very much hand to hand combat. You know, the way we attracted users on both sides of the marketplace, you know, was very much dialing for dollars. We would cold call lawn care services out of Craigslist and pitch them on the idea of using our app. And then we would pass out door flyers all over Nashville, Tennessee, where, where, where we live to try to get people to use it on the, on the homeowner side and very much just doing things that didn't scale, learning from the people using the app, the early versions of the app, applying those learnings to make it better and better and better and things that we could do that would scale, I think is kind of like what got us where we are today. And I, I think if you're getting started from scratch, focus on doing things that don't scale first. And that's how you learn about what could scale. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, just talking about, you know, there's some things that are kind of difficult to scale. Uh, but what have you learned then? You talk about finding those things that can scale. Have you found things that you've been able to effectively scale now that you're moving forward, now that you're um, starting to see some good success, and now that you seem to have doubled what you were making as in the lawn scare? Lawn- landscaping business, uh, you know, you mentioned now you're making, you know, more than $20 million a year and doing, doing that business. So what have you discovered about scaling up and what have you learned that you can scale? So that's the beautiful thing about building a software enabled business is that you can touch more lives. You can scale to something bigger than what, than a traditional conventional style of business. And, uh, and, and so that's one reason I was attracted to building a, a software type of company. I, I wanted to build something with more impact and and what I didn't realize was it takes a long time to figure out that formula that can scale. And at the time, I was reading a book called The Startup Owner's Manual by an author named Steve Blank. And this guy was like kind of the predecessor to Eric Reese, who wrote The Lean Startup. And what both those books really talk about is this, this process of customer discovery, where you are just trying to get a dozen, a hundred, a couple hundred people to use your product and, and, and really trying to learn from their feedback and making it really easy for them to give you your, your, their feedback and then applying that feedback to make the product better and better and better. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs try to skip that step. They try to go do things at scale first and, and, and they don't really get anywhere because they don't know what the, what the recipe for success is. And so for us, you know, in the early days, you know, when I was pitching these guys on, on using GreenPow to run their lawn mowing business, uh, one thing that I would offer them is uh, free coaching on how to grow their lawn care business. And that was kind of like a little bit of glue to keep them using it. Even though the product really sucked back then, we, I was at least had a personal relationship for, with the first 100 service providers because I was, I was giving them free coaching. And as, as I was doing that, I was coaching them for free and mentoring them for free on growing their lawn mowing business. I then began to write a book on how to grow a lawn mowing business. And I, I wrote what I believe is the preeminent free book on the internet on how to grow your business from zero to your first 250K in revenue. And in the course of writing that book and putting that out there, that is now a, a piece of content that ranks really well on Google. And so people looking to how to start a lawn mowing business come across that, they, they read my 20-page my book and they're introduced to the idea of, oh, you can also use this free app called GreenPow to, to help you get, get started. And so that's how we get probably 80% of our lawn care services that use our platform to, to today is through that book. If I tried to write that book day one, it probably wouldn't have been as good as had I not done the thing that didn't scale, which was offering free coaching and really figuring out what made these guys tick. Yeah, I think that's a really good point of of going through that process and being able to identify, um, well, the processes and uh, and and really sit down and, and analyze that. So, as you're moving forward, what kinds of things are you looking at for your future product roadmap? What do you see in the future, um, and how do you expect to kind of take things to the next level? Yeah, we we're still focused on this one use case: push a button get the grass cut. Like when people come to the app, they come to the website, they need to be able to understand in three seconds, three questions. Where am I? What can I do here? And why does it matter? And so we, we make it crystal clear what the app does and, and how it can help them and how it can solve their problem. And we're constantly making that better, faster, cheaper, smoother, more reliable, and really making that experience even tighter and tighter and tighter. So that's something we'll never lose sight of. Beyond that, we do. Fo- we now are, are starting to expand into other things. After you get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service through GreenPal, you can then layer on 
complimentary services uh, for your yard maintenance with that service provider. Things like shrub pruning, weed removal, leaf removal, seeding, snow removal, things of that sort. So we kind of put those things uh, downstream after you've started a relationship with your lawn care service on top of our marketplace. And we call it kind of a land and expand type of strategy. Let's get you into the, the Green Pal marketplace hooked up with a great lawn mowing service are coming every week. And then let's talk about these other things you might need to get done with your yard maintenance. That's the next uh, kind of frontier for us, if you will, uh, making the rest of those things that go outside of your home, get those uh, done by the push of a button as well. Uh, so, um, so as, as you're kind of doing that and, and kind of expanding and trying to move on to some different types of projects, uh, how do you expect to recruit more people uh, for these types of things? And how do you expect to uh, help them use your app to uh, set prices and make sure all of that's going to run smoothly? Uh, like you said, I mean, you've got the you've got the lawn care on lockdown. Uh, how are you going to then um, expand and m- make it possible uh, for other types of uh, care and, um, and activities to be, to be completed? Yeah. So, on the front end for lawn mowing services, we, we're always looking for ways to leverage our own data to make that run smoother. So we know, for instance, and in like uh, every zip code in the United States, what the average lawn mowing price is in that zip code. We know um, we know how often it needs to be done. We know uh, who, who the best lawn care services are in that zip code. And we, we, we leverage this data to surface that to the service providers so they can make better pricing decisions. They can make better uh, uh, calculations of how much they want to charge. And then we also service it, surface it to homeowners so they can make the better hiring decisions. So we're always looking for ways to standardize the data to not make it necessarily a commodity, but make it to where it's it there's more clarity around price and quality and availability and what you're getting for what you're buying and and also where where service providers can price it and still make money um and then downstream for other yard maintenance services that aren't quite as commoditized um we we haven't really uh explored how we modulate those prices yet because it could be it could be anything it could be you know if it could be four shrubs it could be 100 shrubs it could be a lot of landscaping could be a little bit so there's no real easy way we can we can standardize that but we that's why we don't try to do that on the front end we uh we understand that the service provider needs to be on the property they need to become familiar with it they need to measure things they need to like have an intimate knowledge with with what the property is how it's laid out to be able to quote those things but on but just for the for the regular lawn mowing we've made that pretty well standardized to where we know within like five percent what the price should be and and we're able to kind of coach the service provider on that and inform the homeowner so there's better matches being made on in terms of price and quality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So do you have any sort of proprietary, you obviously don't have to share the proprietary information, but uh, do you have any proprietary uh, algorithms or methods you're using to crunch all of that data? Because you did mention like, you know, the average prices of all these, uh, of all the lawn mowing, you know, all of the stuff of the major cities. So do you have any sort of tools that you're using to help you crunch all of that data and kind of build that into the app? Um, and if so, I'd imagine that'd be especially important as you move forward and add other types of services. Yeah, as you pick up steam, as you kind of scale out a marketplace like this, data is gold. Data is the new gold. And so that is kind of our 
our uh, competitive advantage, if you will. We have millions of transactions that have occurred on top of our technology. And we were able to understand and crunch, okay, these are the service providers in this zip code that show up over 90% of the time that are within this pricing uh, uh, variance that have availability this week. And those are the ones we're going to show to to the homeowner. We're not going to show this guy who never gets booked again, um, who who's always $20 high, who, who never gets hired and, and doesn't have a great star review rating or, or, you know, that's a very simplistic kind of representation of it, but we, we use the data. Uh, we then kind of organize it, understand it and leverage it to help make those connections uh, happen more seamlessly. And also in such a fashion to where there's less failure uh, because, the, the, there, there's this case of the disappearing lawn guy or the flaky lawn guy or the, the lawn guy that you hire that doesn't show up. And it's our platform's job to use our data to ensure that when you hire somebody on GreenPal, they do show up when they're supposed to and they do do a good job for you. Whereas that's not the, not the case if you do it in the, in the, in the analog world. It's kind of like, you know, you're just taking a chance. Hopefully they show up, but you, you don't really know. When you use GreenPal, you can do, you know, with, with confidence, they're going to show up and do a good job for you. Yeah, I really like that. So let's talk a little bit then about the culture of your company and how you've been able to grow it. Um, you mentioned growing it over eight years. You mentioned you have some partners, uh, some business partners with this. Uh, what have you all done to kind of get to this point? And what's what's your company? What's the culture of your company that allows you to feel confident uh, in your product, but as well the confidence of the fact that you know, like you said, when you book somebody through GreenPal, there's a very you know good chance that they're going to show up. Like you can almost guarantee that they're going to show up. So how have you um, kind of approached that, um, you know, with your values and everything as a company? Yeah. So our team is, is not, not small, but it's not big. We're only 33 people. Uh, My last business had 150 and I learned a hard lesson uh, with my last company was, it was probably year seven or eight. I I just kind of had a pit in my stomach when I was driving to the office one day, I had like a stomach ache because I didn't want to go. And I realized that, man, I, I've got like a really, really toxic uh, company culture in this business that I built. And like for, for six months, I was just really pissed off. And then somebody told me, it's like, well, as the business owner, as the founder, you get exactly the culture you deserve. And you hired everybody that works there. You built it. It's your thing. It's actually a reflection of you. It's a reflection of who you are. And so you get exactly the culture that you deserve. And, and so I, I learned that lesson the hard way. And I began to have to kind of like fix it. And I had to figure out, okay, why the hell are we all here? And what, why are we doing this? And why does it even matter? And, and I began pruning people out of the organization little by little that, that weren't good fits. And so I kind of had those scars. And I didn't want to repeat those same mistakes when I built GreenPal. And so we're pretty good at at making good hires on the on the front end here and, and figuring out who's going to be a good cultural fit and who isn't. And a lot of it just, just boils down to personality and, and and our work ethic. And we have like a strict no asshole policy. And you know, we realize that like, you know, we're we're spending all this time with one another. We we, we and we're gonna go through highs and lows together. We gotta want to be around another one another. It doesn't matter how talented you are we just cannot suffer that, that type of, of negativity to be in the culture. And, and so like, I didn't want to make that mistake again. And so I've done, I've done a lot better on the second time around. And another thing too, is the team is still small. The team's still like 30 something people. It gets really hard when you, when, when people are hiring people and you're not hiring everybody. So, I, so I have it pretty good. I have it pretty easy. You know, we all believe in a, in a few things, 
Uh, we all believe in the success of our vendor partners. We, we gauge everything that we do based on how much money they're making and how we're changing their lives and how we're able to help them kind of get access to the American dream. That's why we get out of bed. And so like we keep it simple and, and we, and if somebody's not a good fit, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, I now know, I now have the experience to know to, 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 to fire fast. Nice. I, I like that. And I like how you talk about how, you know, you learned this from your own missteps in the past and from building your last company. Um, you know, and I also like how you talked about, you know, um, you know, somebody saying, Hey, as the founder, as the boss, as the boss, uh, you're, you know, you really kind of set that tone. And I think, uh, a lot of the time as, you know, entrepreneurs, it's really hard to feel intention. Like we, we don't set intentions about, okay, what's the company culture going to look like? What am I going to do here? And instead, uh, you know, it's all about like, okay, how do I scale up? How do I 10 X this? How do I do that? How do I make more money? And we forget how important that culture really is. Yeah, we really do. And, and, you know, it's just hard because you got to be doing a lot of things at once and, mm-hmm. and you got to focus on a lot of things at once. And I think the culture conversation comes in between five and 10 employees, but I believe like zero to five employees, I wouldn't worry too much about culture. Like yeah. you're just trying to keep the lights on. You're trying to figure out if you're solving a problem people need to pay for, you know, everybody personally, the first couple may even be your co-founders. I wouldn't worry too much about culture, uh, uh five and under employees. That's probably countered to a lot of other advice, but in like a perfect world, a perfect vacuum, and you and you have the resources to worry about all this stuff at once, then yeah, maybe. But uh, but I I think it really kind of kicks in five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty people. Uh, whereas when you're going from zero to five, you're going from zero to one on the product. You really just need to focus on one thing. That's the customer, and and it's trying to spend as much time as you can with them, getting the feedback to understand what the hell it is you're doing and and where you need to take the take the business. And then like once you get beyond five people, then then let's start to identify. Okay. What organically are are the the virtues of the five people that 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 founded this company, and then let's bake that in and cod and like codify that into the actual culture. Yeah, very nice. So, um, so how did you choose your co-founders? How did you go about that? I mean, you've talked about you know taking uh, taking you know the values of of your co-founders of your business partners and baking that into the culture of your company. So, how do you go about finding the right people to help you and co-found this with you? I don't typically, uh, by default, recommend that people go out and get co-founders. I think it's really, really hard to get right. I got very, 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 very lucky. I recruited two people that I could trust, that I knew had a chip on their shoulder in terms of wanting to do something with their life and that the, that a business could be that thing. And I knew they were hardworking and I knew that that uh, I could I could get in the trenches with them and just grind it out. And I knew that we could figure out everything else uh, so long as we were all sufficiently motivated and, and ambitious. And so that's all I was looking for. I, I, I found two guys and, 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 and I got very lucky. That said, I think you need to look at a co-founder relationship as important as your spouse relationship as who you're going to marry. Um, you know, a lot of people like date somebody for a year, two years, five years, whatever, before they marry them. I think the gravity of that situation in terms of who you decide to like become a life partner with and who you co-found a business are really kind of along the same weight for a couple of reasons. If the business, you know, is successful or maybe even not successful, you're going to still spend more time with this person. Than you are your actual spouse. 
And you're going to go through hell with them. You have to like found a business with somebody who you want to go through hell with because there's going to be parts of the journey that are going to be a living hell. So yeah, in the beginning when it's all rosy and everything's all good, like, yeah, sure. That's one thing, but like really don't found, don't co-found a business. You couldn't imagine going through a struggle with because you will go through a struggle together, maybe several. And then the other thing too, is if it, if it works out or doesn't work out, unwinding that partnership and unwinding a cap table is actually more difficult than just a straight up divorce. And so it's going to be harder to like unravel your life from this co-founder than it is to divorce your spouse. And so those are two reasons I I believe a lot of people just kind of like, they almost go and get a co-founder as like a coping mechanism. They, they like, they think, okay, well, you know, maybe if somebody starts this business with me, uh, it'll help validate that it's a good idea and help validate that I'm making the right decision with my life. And maybe it might be easier. I won't have to do all the work myself. And the reality is, is like, you shouldn't start a business with somebody unless they're your business soulmate and unless they like complete you in some way. And so Paul Graham says you want to find a hacker and a hustler, uh, two completely different skill sets that you rarely find in the same person. And if you can find that and you trust the person and they're ambitious and they're, they're, they're just as insane as you are and they're willing to do whatever it takes to be successful, then yes, marry them as a co-founder. But if, if not, just go it alone. You don't, you don't necessarily have to have one. Yeah, I like that idea because a lot of the time we kind of forget, yeah, it's much harder to unwind your business from, from those entanglements. And it is, of course, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time with these folks. So uh, really great uh, advice for, you know, whether or not you need to find a co-founder and realizing that you don't always have to find one. So, yeah. Um, But yes. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Once again, uh, Brian Clayton with GreenPal. Can you please uh, let our audience know where they can find you? Yeah, life's too short to be mowing your own yard. Just download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store and you'll get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service in no time. Anybody wants to reach me, you can hit me up on LinkedIn or Instagram. Very cool. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Ones to Watch. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to our episode and tune in next time for another great story from somebody who is offering some disruption to the technology space. for listening to the ones to watch podcast if you're interested in sharing your company's story and joining us as a guest on the show please visit www.aquapartners.com slash podcast slash apply if you liked what you heard please also visit me and my firm aqua partners on linkedin and connect we're always keen to expand our networks and engage with like-minded individuals also please subscribe to our show on apple podcast google podcast Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Once again, I'm Paul Quatracasas. Thanks for listening to the Ones to Watch podcast.